0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Our scripture reading for today is taken from the third chapter of the letter of St. Paul to the Colossians. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Friends, I want to say once more, uh, it is a wonderful joy and an honor and a privilege to be back with you at the Advent. It's been, I think, a couple of years since I've been back, and I feel like I'm coming home in many ways. So. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for the warm hospitality. Thank you for your witness, which really is known uh, around the nation, and thank you for serving Christ here in Birmingham in your neighborhood. It's a blessing to many of us around the world. Yesterday, I I talked about this portion uh, from the third chapter of Colossians where Paul says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And I wonder how that command lands on you, to set your minds on things above, not on things on earth. What does it mean to have your mind focused on heavenly realities rather than this-worldly realities? I grew up in a church where we sang a hymn that spoke of the things of earth growing strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And I wondered at times, what does that actually look like in experience? Because I suspect if you're anything like me, you don't often experience the things of earth growing strangely dim. As soon as I start to try to tear my gaze away from my house or my family or my job, or my concrete experiences in life, and focus on God and heaven and eternity, I can quickly find myself experiencing one of two things. One of them is simply confusion, a kind of blank screen. There's a story that Cicero, the famous Roman statesman and writer who died roughly a half century before Jesus was born, he tells a story in his treatise on the nature of the gods of a tyrant named Hero who comes to this lyric poet, Simonides, and says to him, tell me about the gods. Tell me what it means for the gods up in the heavens to exist. And Simonides begs for a couple of days to think about it, and then he'll give the answer. And the two days pass, and Hero comes to him and says, well, and Simonides says, actually, I could use two more days. And this goes on for a while. And finally, Simonides says, the longer I think about it, the murkier the answer seems. And I wonder if you can identify with that. The more we try to think of heavenly realities, the cloudier our vision can get. Cicero says, as a result, the nature of the gods is a very obscure question. John Calvin, the, the Protestant reformer, he later told, retold this story and he said if we try, like Simonides, this poet, to use our imaginations to, to peer up into heaven and try to figure out and ponder heavenly realities, we will find ourselves holding nothing certain Or solid or clear, but we will be so attached to confused principles that we will end up worshiping an unknown God. I wonder if you can relate. This experience of a kind of blank canvas trying to imagine heavenly realities that can quickly lead, at least in my experience, to a second type of experience and this is not the experience so much of confusion this is the experience of fear onto the blank canvas in the sky can start to creep images think of those Rorschach inkblot images images of God that are fearsome that make me nervous am I really okay with God I'm trying to set my mind on things above, but I'm suddenly experiencing a spike in my anxiety. I start to imagine images of a God who is cruel, or vindictive, or mercurial, capricious. Not so much God as cosmic Santa Claus, although that's weird enough, But God, as C.S. Lewis once said, as cosmic sadist. God as someone who takes delight in my squirming. God not just as obscure, like Cicero said, but God as scary, terrifying. Friends, I think at this point, it's absolutely crucial that we notice precisely what Paul says when he tells us to set our minds on things above. Listen to his words again. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Notice, Paul is absolutely not urging us to try to cultivate some vague, ethereal kind of heavenly mindedness. No, he's directing us to think about a particular person, Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, the one who died and who is now alive with the one he called Father, Jesus who will return in glory and restore us and restore the whole world. It's as if Paul is saying to us, when I tell you to think about heaven, when I tell you to set your minds on things above, I'm telling you to think about one particular Jewish man, Jesus, who is now not dead anymore, but alive, and who is always alive, to make intercession for you and for me. Paul spells it out in a little more detail earlier In Colossians. Listen to these words. They're very poetic. He says, he, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. For in him, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him. And for him, he himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell And through him, God was pleased to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. So friends, when Paul tells us to set our minds on things above, it's not abstract things. It's not some sort of blank canvas. It's one particular human being whose name is Jesus. And not just think about Jesus in some generic way, but to allow the life of Jesus to affect and define the way you think about God. I think that's a claim, what I just said, that should probably sound more shocking to us than I think it probably does. Rowan Williams, a few years ago during Lent, he gave a series of talks on the letters of St. Paul. And I want to read you just a little bit of what he said in those lectures. He said, Paul is roughly the same age as Jesus, perhaps a few years younger. They're roughly contemporaries. And 20 years or so after Jesus' execution, Paul is saying that this person his contemporary, his peer, somebody who was well-known to people that Paul knew well, is the image of God. That in Jesus, as he just as startlingly puts it in 1 Corinthians one twenty four, is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Or, as he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4-6, through 6, In his face, in that man's face, shines the glory of God, what the Jews call the Shekinah, the blinding radiance of God's presence. In Hebrew scripture, in the Old Testament, that presence of God is described as radiating so powerfully that it throws people to the ground. It's like a dense fog of light that you can't breathe in and you can't stand in. And that glory, that stifling intensity of presence in holy places is what you see and sense if you look at Jesus. So Paul claims. A strong claim, to put it mildly. And then Rowan says this. Imagine for a moment what a leap of imagination would be involved in thinking of someone of your own generation and background in terms like that. That's shocking. Friends, it seems it's at this point that we could go one of two directions. One would be to think through what it, what it actually means to say that a man, a Jewish man, who lived in a particular place in the first century is actually alive, never to die again, and is the very presence of God with us. What does it mean to say that all the fullness of deity dwells in him? That would be one way to, to approach this. That would be the question that we call Christology. Who is this Jesus? What does it mean that he's more than just a man, more than just a prophet? That would be one question we could ask. But we could actually ask the question in reverse. What does it mean for how we think about God? What does it mean for our effort to set our minds on God, to set our minds on things above, to to allow our minds to travel from this particular human life This Jesus who walked around Palestine healing people, teaching, touching people that no one else wanted to touch, eating with people that no one else wanted to eat with. That life, that person, allow your eye to go up from that to understand who God is. How would that change the way you think about God? How would that change the way you pray? How would that change the way you worship? what you expect from God, how you trust God, how you rely on God. If if that life is the truest window into who God is, what difference would that make for you? One of my favorite stories, and chances are high that I've already told this story in this sanctuary before, but one of my favorite stories is about uh, the late Reformed theologian Thomas Torrance, who was uh, a chaplain during World War II. And he found himself on the battlefield, you know, wearing his collar, out ministering to wounded soldiers. And there was a 20-year-old soldier, Private Phillips his name was, who was there on the battlefield, mortally wounded. He only had a few minutes left to live. He was dying. And Torrance said he was, you know, going around serving as a chaplain, trying to pass through these dying people. And this 20-year-old boy who's about to, about to die, grabs his arm and says, Padre, is God really like Jesus? And I don't know about you, but I find that almost unbearably poignant. This is a guy who knows that in a mere matter of minutes, his life is done, he's about to meet the God who made him, he's about to meet the God who can decide his future, who's going to sit in judgment over his life. And he's thinking to himself, I've heard good news about Jesus. I've heard that Jesus is the one who forgave sins, who healed people like me who are sick, who loved people like me, who know how bad we are. But I'm scared as I'm about to die that God is somehow going to turn out to be different than that. So, Padre, can you tell me, is God really like Jesus? Because if he is, then I can actually die in peace. Because I, I know who Jesus is, and I know that he will have mercy on me. And if that's the God I'm going to meet, well, then it makes all the difference. And Torrance said it was the great privilege of his life to be able to look that 20-year-old dying boy in the eyes and say, yes. God is exactly like Jesus. Here's what he wrote a few years later There is no God behind the back of Jesus Christ, but only this God, whose face we see in the face of the Lord Jesus. There is no hidden God, no dark, inscrutable God, no arbitrary deity of whom we can know nothing but before whom we can only tremble as our guilty conscience paints harsh streaks upon his face. No, there are no dark spots in God of which we need to be afraid. There is only the one God, who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ in such a way that there is perfect consistency and fidelity between what Jesus reveals of the Father and what the Father is in his unchangeable reality. God really is like Jesus because there is no other God other than the one who became human in Jesus. And he who God affirms himself to be and always will be in Jesus. Or, if you prefer a much shorter version, Archbishop Michael Ramsey used to love to say, God is Christlike, and in God, there's no unchristlikeness at all. So, friends, set your minds on things above. Not on earthly things, not on earthly idols, not on earthly distortions of who God is, not on your own imagination of who God is. Those are, those are going to fade away. Set your minds on things above where Christ is, and let Jesus Christ be the one to show you the face of God. To him be the glory now and forever.